Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week I'm joined by Lee Gatiss, the Director of Church Society, and Amanda Robbie who is a member of our Church Society Council uh, and is a vicar's wife in West Bromwich. Uh, we're going to be talking about various things this week. We're going to be talking about the relationship between church and state. When should bishops be speaking out on political issues or should they? Uh, we're going to be sharing uh, a lot of recommendations. And uh, we are going to begin, however, with the issue that has, I think, finally, for the first time in two months, pushed coronavirus off the front page headlines. Uh, and that is, of course, the issue of racism. We are not here to give you our hot take on the murder of George Floyd and uh, the way that things have played out in America over the last few days. We, you know, I don't think anyone needs to, to hear three white British people give us their views on that. But it does seem to me that this is an opportunity for us to consider our own country and our own uh, church and our own community and our own hearts. Um, just a few months ago, back in February, Justin Welby at General Synod described the Church of England as deeply institutionally racist. I don't think it's okay to look and say, those Americans over there, it's their problem. I think we need to be looking at ourselves and saying, this, you know, this is our problem too. We have a problem with this. It may be a slightly differently configured kind of problem, but racism is something that is still rife in our country and society and therefore it's still in our churches uh, and in our own lives. I do want to say before we before we get started on this, we, we are really conscious that, you know, this is three white people sitting around talking about racism and that's not great. And um, one of the things I've been aware of in the last few days when I was kind of, you know, we need to talk about this, is we, we don't have any racial diversity on our rota of regular podcast guests and people that we might invite to talk about things and that that's a problem and I have a plan to do something about that some people in mind to invite and I hope that we will uh, have more diversity going forward but also I'm really conscious that it's easy sometimes to fall into the trap of thinking this is a thing we must get black and minority ethnic people to solve for us we must get them to come and tell us what to do about it and that's not fair. It's not their problem. I mean, you know, primarily speaking, this this is our problem. And so it's not that we don't want them to be part of the conversation at all. And absolutely, we want to be listening uh, to some of those voices. And we're going to share um, some recommendations, I think, from, from some of those voices that, that we think you could and should be listening to. But if it's our problem to solve, then we need to at least be beginning to have those conversations uh, amongst us. And that's the final thing I want to say is I don't think this is, well, this is not the last word. And I hope this is not going to be the last time we talk about this issue on the podcast. Um, and so, you know, this is not the whole conversation. It's a it's an opening word. Uh, maybe it certainly helped me to think about some things more than I have done in the past. And I hope as we talk about it, you'll find the same, that this is something you need to be thinking about as well. So I want to start at a really... Um, sort of far back place in, in a sense what does the bible have to say about this what does the bible have to say about racism and why it is so abhorrent to the lord lee do you want to start us on that well thank you Ros. i think it's um it's good that we're addressing this subject because actually <laughs> white 
people are often the problem, aren't they, with the racism? Mm. And uh, so we need to start talking about it ourselves in order to start addressing that problem. Um, obviously, the Bible starts addressing it on page one. So uh, Genesis chapter one shows us that all human beings come from two human beings, from Adam and Eve. There is, in some ways, no such thing as different races of human being. We are all one race. Uh, Paul says in the New Testament that God created from one man all the races of the world, uh, all the human beings of the world. So actually, we're all one. We are, you know, biologically, genetically, spiritually, we're all the same race. Um, I'm a human being. You're a human being. George Floyd was a human being. Um, you know, whatever colour, creed, whatever, we're all made in the image of God. And so there's a oneness to all of us. Um, so that is obviously a great and obvious place to start and has been disputed in the history of the church, of course. It took a while when we um, when Europeans invaded the Americas for, uh, you know, for the Pope and the Catholic Church to officially declare that uh, the Red Indians, the Native Americans, were actually human beings. Um, one of the proud moments of the abolition of slavery campaign in the uh, in Britain in the 18th century was saying, yes, these black people are human beings and ought to be treated as human beings. I mean, that it's shocking, really, that we even had to start there. That should be obvious. Um, yeah. But but that is true. Yes, absolutely. It should be obvious, but it but it hasn't always been through history. And, you know, and it, it is great that we can look back and see, for example, in the, the abolition of the slave trade, Christians were, were very active uh, in making that happen. But it's also true that Christians had been heavily involved in the slave trade. Yeah. It was not always apparent to Christians even uh, yeah. that that should be the case. I remember a few years ago I was editing George Whitfield's sermons thinking George Whitfield's a, a great guy, great evangelical Anglican, um, preacher of the gospel and then coming across some of his stuff on slavery in Georgia and being absolutely appalled and ashamed and embarrassed mm -hmm. and almost abandoned the whole project thinking well I can't possibly be seen to be promoting this guy is a yeah. good example when he was so in favour of slavery in Georgia. There's a backstory and a history to all of that. But, you know, it's part of our story. It is. And I think there's something really important there to recognise for, for us now. We are part of our current culture, which is still racist in all kinds of ways. And we have... Um, internalize that unconsciously in all kinds of ways that we may not be aware of. Amanda, you live somewhere which is very multicultural in lots of ways. What does the Bible have to say about that sort of multiculturalism and church? We, Pentecost Sunday, just celebrated, obviously, and that is just, you know, Pentecost was people were speak, spoken to in their own languages. Uh, the Holy Spirit came to people from all, all tribes and tongues. We were uh, we had uh, church members who read from uh, Ezekiel 36 again about God's promises to bring the nations uh, to worship him together. And uh, yeah, and so we see that here. And uh, previously, I've lived in Southeast Asia again, which is uh, a, a multicultural societies in Malaysia and Singapore, particularly. And I've, I've worshipped in a, a church which where I was not in the majority culture. Mm. And uh, yeah, that it's just so clear that that's the, what the Lord, he, he came to bring people together to sort of reverse Babel 
if you like. Yeah, absolutely. If we were to do a really, really simplified, oversimplified version, you would start, wouldn't you, with Genesis 1, we're all made in God's image and therefore we're all equal in God's sight through the fall and the, the kind of diversity that happens with Babel as a result of sin. And then Pentecost, that great moment of God bringing the whole church back together in that great cacophony of multiplicity of languages and races and backgrounds. And then you end up in Revelation, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language are going to be there. And, you know, that is where we are aiming for. That is what God wants, is a church full of people from all races and backgrounds and ethnic cultures. And and I was going to say in Ephesians, uh, that, that it's very much addresses two cultures coming together, Jew and Gentile. And, and we've uh, often, uh, my husband's often preached on that mm. because of our multicultural context that actually that, that very much addresses uh, the, the difficulties, but also the challenge to actually to love one another uh, yeah. across cultures. Absolutely. There's, the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. And that is and we, we rightly understand that to be crucially reconciliation between us and the Lord. But it is also about reconciling people. Mm. Um, and that's something that I think has really helped me, actually, as I've been thinking about this recently as well. It's just that slogan that's been going around that that we need to not just be not racist, but we need to be anti-racist. And for Christians, I think the way that, that we see that embodied in the gospel is we need to be reconcilers. We need to be actively working for reconciliation in our churches and communities. And, and so on. I was preaching on um, on John chapter 16 yesterday on Pentecost at a church society parish where Jesus talks about when the Holy Spirit comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment now I think we have to as Christians remember that the Holy Spirit will show up our sin our unrighteousness and how we stand under judgment because we are racist you know, there are, we don't want to say we're racist, of course. You know, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Some of my best friends are black. I live in a black area. Uh, you know, we have all these reasons why we think we're not racist. But I've been helped to see recently by the, uh, a great book called White Fragility, how white people are very fragile um, and defensive when we're talking about this subject of racism. Because actually we know deep down somewhere that we are part of the problem we swim in an atmosphere in an environment which is uh, laden with white privilege and supremacy in the past we benefit from it in so many ways from our history and our past that we don't even realize and I think the Holy Spirit can point that out to us as we reflect on what the Bible says and our own hearts absolutely the Bible speaks about it so much. The Holy Spirit works on it. I think one thing, again, that, that can help us to reframe some of that discussion um, is to stop thinking of it as a binary category, either you're racist or not racist, but actually recognise that there is a spectrum. And I think I want to say, I, I think it's true, I hope it is true that I am less racist than I was maybe 10 years ago. But I hope in 10 years from now, I will be less racist than I am now. And I think that's a, a more helpful way of thinking about it than that immediate defensive. There isn't a racist bone in my body because there is. You just don't know where they are. And, and being willing to let the Holy Spirit challenge us on this is a big I, thing. I think as well, um, having lived in another culture um, and living here as well, you see everyone is racist. We all fear the other we all like to be with people like us yeah. we all 
um, categorize people from another grouping, particularly other racial groupings, in a certain way. Um, so we just, because it just happens in this country, white British is the majority culture. So that's where the sort of racial imbalance is. But we have to be careful to say everybody's racist and we, and we need to challenge that in multicultural settings. We need to challenge that across our different cultures because it's a sinful urge to, to say, oh, we're better than you are. That's, yeah. that's what we're doing, isn't it? And we're, we're never going to get rid of that as a sort of default thing. It's always going to have to take conscious action yeah. to root out where that sinful urge is in ourselves as individuals, but also in wider things. And so I guess the, the thing that I want us to, to think about at this point is, well, how can we begin to work out where those blind spots are? If, if a lot of this is unconscious it's that sort of being embedded in racist institutions and racist society and um never having been challenged it's very difficult to identify our own blind spots isn't it what sort of things um could the church be doing so i'm you know what kind of things can we be uh encouraging pastors to to help their congregations uh think of how do we put this into to some kind of practical application i was very struck uh, by a black friend of mine uh, on Facebook a couple of days ago, who just said the thing is, people know the theology, they know that racism is wrong, they know that the Bible condemns it, and yet we still have a racist church. And I think it's because we're not doing that harder work of saying, where does the rubber hit the road on this for us? Where are we actually falling down that we need to change? Um, and I don't know whether either of you have um, thoughts on what we could be doing to to confront actual racism um better so the church of england has got a problem mm. is that you know vast majority of churches are in white rural areas probably if you count them and probably the numbers although obviously there's more urban christians increasingly more urban churches but uh, so there's there's that problem of we don't have any black people we've never met any so perhaps those churches could be thinking towards some sort of partnership with an urban church mm. where and in a, in a multicultural area where they could get to know people yeah um yeah i think it, it's it's knowing people is part of the issue to, to to reducing that and to to see the similarities to be sort of learning to love one another across those cultural differences mm. and i think as well in 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 the uk in england class is also an issue so a lot of yeah. so in a way classism is worse than racism in in britain because that's that's how we have historically divided ourselves so the two fit together don't they i mean it's that sort of yeah and they two fit together because very very often people from other races have come into the sort of working class areas so mm. it's also working through those issues um yeah and 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 you know i'd like to challenge middle class christians to choose to move to somewhere mm. where they would be in a in an area where they're not the majority or certainly coming across different cultures where so actually as an individual you could actually personally be doing something to mm. uh, work to, to minister across the races to be knowing people yeah what mm. what are your life choices and actually uh, it's it's one thing to say well there's just no black people in my town mm. well actually you don't have to you know do you have to live in that town do you have to go to that church could you make different choices um that would help differently lee what, what are your thoughts on this I think we need to do a lot more listening than we tend to do on this subject. Um, it's easy being in the dominant culture and ethnicity of our country. 
it's easy being English in the United Kingdom, even, you know, the amount of racism we have against the Welsh, the Irish, the Scots is also pretty um, vigorous at times as well. And sometimes we joke about that. And that can be, you know, the kind of English sense of humour. You make a banter about things. But there's an underlying racism to some of that stuff as well. Um, I think we need to listen a lot more to the experience and the history of um, black and minority ethnic people. Um, one thing I was struck by is that, that, you know, in terms of understanding the history and background of the people who come from different ethnicities to us. Martin Luther King said in that famous I have a dream speech that he had a dream where people would be judged um, for the content of their character, not for the colour of their skin. Now, we tend to think that that means we should be colour blind in how we relate to people. And I don't think that's what he was saying or what we should be doing. We're not to go and say, well, I just don't see you as black. Because actually, black people, as I understand it from what I've read of them talking about this, they want us to see them as black people so we understand they're coming from a particular background and that we tend to relate to them in a particular way that isn't always very helpful. You know, we are racist. Yeah. I'm a racist in the way that I sometimes relate to people and I need to know about that yeah. and have that pointed out to me. So we need to know and understand where people are coming from. So, that you know, there's a great book... Um, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, which just begins with a great chapter on black British history. And lots of people know about Martin Luther King and the American civil rights movement. Do you know how tough it has been to be black in this country? Yeah. And until you really have listened to that, you, it's difficult to have even starting that conversation with people. Uh, one of the things I, I want to uh, put in the links is um, a link to Niv Lobo's uh, blog. Yeah. Niv is from uh, Indian Heritage, moved to the UK when he was quite young. And he has a really interesting reflection on the problem with colour blindness um, in our churches. Um, so I'll put a link to that. Um, I guess I, I want to just think, um, you know, there are things we can do like that as individuals, but there are also things we can be aware of and working towards more structurally. So just one quick example uh, before we move on, I think, um, you know, one of the things where we see um, sort of systemic uh, racism in this country is in educational outcomes. If you come from different ethnic groups, the expected educational outcome is very different. If you are a, a black boy, for example, you know, the results from that demographic are very much lower than from, uh, I don't know, Asian girls, for example. And, and I was thinking about that and the implications that that might have for the Church of England. And one implication is that may be part of the reason why we have disproportionately fewer black and minority ethnic people coming into ministry. And there are two ways you could address that, aren't there? You could say, well, what we need to do is look at the criteria of people coming into ministry. And I think the Church of England have been doing that. And the new, um, whatever the system is called that's replacing the BAP, I think is partly aimed at doing that. And I think that would be a good thing. But the other thing we could do is be proactively in our churches thinking, how do we help children and families from those, those kinds of cultures? Yeah to make sure that they do achieve the kind of educational outcomes that would, would be... Something you see in uh, black churches. So one of, mm. the, one of the reasons we've got so many black churches in the UK is because when the, black, the, you know, the Windrush generation arrived, churches weren't welcoming. And I've had some yeah. you know, pretty horrible stories from our current church members who are, who are um, 
from the Caribbean about the struggles they had to be accepted at church when they arrived. And I've seen in quite a few black churches, they do, they do that sort of after school mentoring for young people, um, homework clubs, those sort of things. Alas, our church is, hasn't quite got the capacity for that at the moment, but it's certainly something that we have it on our mind. And if you're not on, in a church like that, perhaps you could offer your services for an after school club um, in a church in a, in a different area where you might be able to support that sort of yeah, ministry. That would be one way of, of really expressing that kind of partnership um, and helping at a society kind of level, but also potentially helping some of our problems uh, within the church as well. Well, I think we have to move on, but um, it is just beginning to scratch the surface of that. And as I say, I hope we will continue to have more of these conversations. Um, I'm just going to ask uh, for recommendations. I know you both had come up with a couple of things that have been helpful in terms of reading. So we'll we'll talk about those now and then have more general stuff at the end. Tell us the title for the people listening on audio. Oh, yes, of course. It's Crossing the Divide by Owen Hilton, who is... Um, a black British pastor of a New Frontiers church in London, in Cat- Catford. That's Kent, actually, isn't it? Um, and he's written a book about uh, re- a call to embrace diversity, it's called. So this is really practical things to uh, encourage churches to be multicultural. Now, if you don't have the demographic where you are, uh, that's going to be more difficult. But it's definitely worth reading. Very accessible, easy read, um, you know, lay, lay read uh, on being embracing diversity trying to cross those divides when you come across them um this one is uh recommended by neil i haven't actually read it it's called from every people and nation a biblical theology of race by daniel hayes it's in a new studies in biblical theology uh series edited by don carson and is uh yeah it's a biblical theology of race so a big bible overview if you wanted to preach on on these sort of subjects or you wanted to enhance your preaching your general preaching on the issue of race this would be a good resource i think great thank you lee what did you have um a book by someone who's white and someone who's black so the book by the white person is robin d'angelo's book white fragility which is subtitled why it is so hard for white people to talk about race now i I recognize this in myself when ros first suggested we talk about this my first thought was oh no do do, do we have to you know I, i don't want to get into this I'm not a racist, you know, that's the kind of thing that we all think. And this book is excellent at popping the whole defensiveness that white people have about this subject. So whenever it's brought up by anybody, whenever any critique is brought up about us possibly being racist or having a racist um, benefit in our society, we get very defensive and we get... um, fragile about it and it ends up all being about us and especially white women's tears i learned yeah. um so when yeah, it's big you know, when white women start crying black men get hurt is what one of the things she says now that yeah. sounds shocking when you say it but read the book and see um how these patterns of relating and reacting to this subject really helpful for me and made me think a lot about other issues in our society like class you know <laughs> people who are posh tend not to like it when we start talking about that and can get very defensive and so on. You know, lots of issues like that um, can come out. So also the book by um, uh, a black author as well, Rennie Edo Lodge's book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, is a more popular kind of look at the same sort of thing because white people don't want to listen and they don't think they are racist. 
helpful. I have a couple of things on this slightly different uh uh, way into it so I want to really recommend highly Trillia Newbell's God's Very Good Idea beautiful beautiful book for young yeah. children beautifully illustrated yeah. God's Very Good Idea is the gospel but one of the things that she uh, makes uh, clear in her telling of that and also in the illustrations is that part of the gospel is about this uh, reconciliation of people it's including people who are different from you um, and there are children shown of all different kind of races and, and backgrounds and so on so it'd be a lovely thing uh, to read with your children and to have on your church bookstore and so on uh, to help them begin to think about that and then also I haven't got a copy of this but I think Lee you had it to hand uh, Christy Anyabuile's uh, His Testimony is My Heritage it's a devotional book yeah. devotional book on Psalm 119 uh, but all the contributors are women of colour uh, of various different backgrounds. It's not a book about race and diversity, but it is a book which really celebrates um, God's word uh, being a word that is for all of us. So I highly recommend that uh, for you. As I well. think a lot of people won't read this who need to read it because we think, oh, I don't read books about the Bible by women because we're sexist and we don't want to read books just by people who are black because we're racist so actually reading a whole book which is uh, biblical expositions by women of colour it's good for us to read from other perspectives like that and see how other people read the bible I think that's right. I think we, we put that in a different way. We think it's by women of colour, therefore it's for <laughs> women of colour whereas a book which is by a white man is for oh, everybody yeah. Mm. And, and you know, we have to stop thinking like that. Mm. OK, well, we will come back to that, no doubt, in the future. Uh, so uh, a week or so ago, we were all talking about Dominic Cummings. Let's not talk about Dominic Cummings. Really? But no. <laughs> not just uh, everybody, but a lot of bishops were speaking about Dominic Cummings very publicly uh, and making right. a comment on that. And I guess it just raises a question, doesn't it? When... What is the responsibility of bishops to speak out about things in our society? Should they be restricting themselves to comments on what we might term moral issues or even more restrictive just on things that are specifically religious issues? Is it appropriate for them to comment on political issues? I mean, you might say that that was a moral issue as well. I don't know, but it was certainly a political issue. What is the role of the church with respect to the state, Lee, tell us the answer. <laughs> I don't have the answer, uh, but I think we can, some things we can say about that. Well, the Church of England is an established church, so we may have a particular responsibility and role um, to speak to the nation, including the political institutions of the nation, but to the nation as a whole. Um, I think that establishment is there for the sake of the gospel, that the Church of England is there to speak the gospel to the nation. Um, and therefore, we, we have a privileged platform for telling the nation and the institutions of our nation about Jesus, about his ways um, and how they ought to repent and believe in him for eternal life. That this world is not all there is, but there's another world and it ought to have an impact on how we behave in this one. That's the kind of thing I think the Church of England ought to be saying. If the Church of England stops holding to and preaching the gospel, I would rather it wasn't an established church because, you know, mm. give me a proper evangelical Protestant reformed gospel to the nation or give me no established church at all. Um, so if the church is doing that, that's great. And I think therefore bishops and ministers and Anglican lay people ought to be using their platform to speak about um, the issues of the day, 
um, which in a way that will lead them to the gospel. So when we think about the Dominic Cummings affair, for example, I'm not going to get into the rights and wrongs of it, but you look at that situation and you say, well, there is a man whose entire life has been scrutinised, and the week in his life particularly has been scrutinised to the utmost, utmost degree by the world and the press. Um, how would it be if your life was scrutinised in that way? Do you know that one day your life will be scrutinised in that way? And God has said a day on which he will judge the world with righteousness through Jesus Christ. How are you going to fare on that day? Repent now of those things and turn to Jesus, because with him there's forgiveness and a fresh new start, which the world doesn't necessarily know about. There's no forgiveness on Twitter. There's no fresh new start on Twitter. It's always remembered. So I think that kind of message is a great way of using those political things of the day without judging, without being judgmental or indulging in kind of mediocre left-wing punditry of some sort and joining in twitch fork, twi twitch fork mobs um, against people <laughs> that we can... Uh, redeem a situation and use it to talk and talk about the gospel and lead people to Christ. I wish we had more of that on Twitter and Facebook and in our social media from our bishops, and I'm sure some are using it behind the scenes in that sort of way, but they're not. Yeah, all of absolutely. Them. I mean, I can't remember who it was he said, but I think it's a, a fair comment. We don't need the bishops to be saying the things that the rest of the world are saying. And there, there were certainly plenty of people feeling very free to, to step in and say whatever they thought yes. about Dominic Cummings. I'm not saying that bishops can't say anything political. They, you know, they ought to have, a, they are, they're able to speak politically, but I think they need to be as careful as ministers not to alienate at least half of the people they're talking to by taking very extreme um, political positions. Well, I, th I think it's not, I don't even so much care about what their political position is, but I do think that when they speak about politics as everything else, it should be really clear that they are doing so in a way that is informed by the gospel and brings yes. the gospel to bear on that situation. Yeah. You know, so your example there is a good one. We could think about how the gospel brings to bear on that, but we could also think about how the gospel... Um, you know, came to bear on the political issue of slavery 200 years yeah. ago, for example. Yeah. And it was right that people in the church were speaking out against Although it wasn't that. bishops, was it? It was not, no. What would... <laughs> it was, it was, it was the, it was the clap, clap and sack, Wilberforce, you know, against the established church. Um, yeah, I think it was Tom Holland mm. who said that he didn't want to hear from the bishops. Yes, you're right. Uh, about what he could hear from everybody else. And uh, yeah, there is a challenge. I was very encouraged to hear that um, a story, uh, though, of a of a bishop who was uh, Richard Jackson apparently was preached oh, yeah. preached from Hereford Cathedral on the uh, on the TV on Sunday morning, and uh, somebody uh, contacted him to say that her, uh, a friend who had watched that service from Milton Keynes and had understood the gospel so clearly wanted to believe and sort of prayed with her friend on the phone to receive to receive Christ so Wonderful. you know I'm really encouraged that mm. bishops do have that platform and if they use it to preach the gospel uh, people's lives you know can be impacted like that the Holy Spirit yeah. can work through through the through the media to reach people I agree I mean I I think that's great and I I do want God bishops who preach the gospel I really want bishops who preach the gospel I I think i feel like I'm saying a bit more than both of you. I also want bishops and church leaders to feel comfortable speaking about political issues, bringing the gospel to bear on those things, yeah. helping us as individual Christians, as lay Christians, 
to understand how the gospel relates to those things, how the gospel should shape the way we vote, not telling us we need to vote for this party or that party, but how the gospel should inform our political involvement um, and how the gospel should inform, uh, you know, what we might write to our MP about or or those kind of things. I, I do think the gospel has something to say about politics as well. Don't we have the problem of a religiously illiterate media who then, if a bishop talks about Jesus and the gospel and, and gospel and politics, will report the political view, but not talk about the sort of back undergirding the backpinning that they, that that bishop has mentioned. Of in course, the- of course, and I I'm not suggesting that we can somehow control the way the media report things, but what I I'm more interested in, I guess, is what the bishop is saying that the church is hearing, what your mm. minister is saying that the congregation is hearing, not mediated by the secular press, yeah. but actually how are they helping <clears throat> us to engage politically? I, uh, I wouldn't disagree with that, Ros. I think that's right. But I do think we have to be careful not to, um, on very hot button issues, alienate half the people that, or more than half the people that we're speaking to. And I do find it odd and a systemic problem with the Church of England particularly, that most of the political punditry emanating from our senior leadership is of a particular mm. political hue. Yeah. Like I, I think there was one bishop out of over a hundred of them who said that he voted for remain uh, for leave in the referendum yeah. recently. Um, and whether you think that's a good thing to have voted for leave or not, I think it's odd that... Yeah. Uh, one out of 105 or however many bishops we have, only one was brave enough to say that he did that. Do we have another representation problem in the Church of England leadership? So not just, uh, so we're getting more women bishops, we're getting more bishops um, from uh, black and, and minority ethnic communities. How many bishops of a more right-wing uh, political leaning are we getting? I don't yeah. know, uh, you know, it, it does seem odd. It it definitely seems odd. I agree. And I think um, that's something, again, where the sort of systemic things and the institutional things play into what we then see with individuals as well. They'll be very fragile Um, if we talk to them about that, though. They'll get very defensive about it and say, no, that's not the case at all. It's not the way it behaves. But, you know, those of us who are in more minority positions can always see these things. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's a complicated thing and we're not going to talk about it now, but I, th- I find it very hard to see how our current political makeup in this country matches one-on-one with any uh, with, a, with a Christian viewpoint. I, no. I, I certainly find myself increasingly as I get older, harder and harder and harder to find anyone in politics who represents my views yeah adequately in any kind of way on the things that are most important to me mm. so anyway the two two slightly complicated uh hot potato <laughs> issues this week i'm sorry it's been a bit of a as hardcore podcast uh, this week so let's move on uh, just to some final recommendations and i have some things which are certainly going to lighten uh, the tone here i want to tell you uh, two things that i've been really really enjoying in the last week Um, I had a couple of days off last week and I took the opportunity to listen to the entire series of Cabin Pressure. I don't know if you've come across Cabin Pressure. It It is the best. It is the best sitcom that Radio 4 have put out in the last 10 or 20 years. It's about a little charter airline. Um, It's very silly, but also very witty and clever. 
and it is delightful and the thing i was very struck by listening to all of it it's all on youtube but it's also on iplayer as well um is it has that very British thing of people who appear to hate each other and disdain each other and make fun of each other, but actually are incredibly fond of and kind to each other. And uh, I found that just delightful. And the other thing I've really enjoyed in the last uh, week or so is I discovered that uh, Sky Arts, they do a couple of series normally a year, Portrait Artist of the Year and Landscape Artist of the Year. But they have been doing in lockdown Portrait Artist of the Week, which you do not have to have Sky for. It's on their Facebook page and every uh, Sunday, but it's recorded so you don't have to watch it on Sunday if you're at church on Sunday, uh, you get an opportunity to paint a celebrity along with a whole lot of other people and get tips and, and so on and then submit your art. So, you know, if you're looking for something to do or your teenager needs something to fill their time, Sky Arts Portrait Artist of the Week. I recommend that. Amanda, what have you got? I guess the thing I can I show you something that I did I've done whilst I've been in lockdown. I finished a blanket, a crochet Wonderful. blanket. Wonderful. And I do recommend uh, all sorts of crafts. So I, I bought myself a new book with and I'm going to learn a whole load of it's called basic crochet stitches I'm just learning some crochet that's my main relaxing thing it's a good thing to have something you're doing isn't it yes and yeah I haven't I haven't been reading very much I we have been at home with teenagers this week and uh sitting in the garden a lot you say I like how you say this week as though you haven't been doing that for two months (laughs) it's been half term though so there hasn't been nobody has had any work so there has been an extra amount of uh lounging about great good Trying to do a holiday uh lee what have you got for us anything else uh well obviously i'm just deadly serious and boring so uh i've been listening to and would recommend carl truman's um Dendulk lectures from last year end of last year carl gave three lectures uh, at westminster seminary california uh, very interesting on bivocational pastorates Um, because he was a bivocational pastor and seminary professor at the same time, how he doesn't think that's the way forward for the church as a whole. He talks about following the money, about how the Christian industrial complex works and um, the money side of things in a seminary and other aspects of Christian ministry. And things like uh, church discipline, how church discipline functions in uh, the nitty gritty of life. And I think some of those issues, Carl is always worth listening to, whether you agree with everything he says or not, but he's always worth listening to. And as a Brit in an American context, he often sees things that our American cousins don't and can also see things back here that we may not have seen so clearly. So well worth listening to. Um, Roz will have a link to that. Also, I suppose... I certainly will. If we're going to get something a bit lighter, I've been re-watching the Netflix series Timeless which is all about time travel, and uh, the the heroine is a um, historian called Lucy. So my youngest, Lucy, obviously thinks this is a great thing to watch, and uh, we've been enjoying that show. Great. And is that something you might like to recommend behind your right shoulder? Right shoulder, oh, left do, shoulder, do, I can't quite tell. Do you mean tell. this lovely orange book, Roz? That's... <laughs> well, that just caught my eye. <laughs> What's that? Walk This Way, it's called. Guided Reflections on Christian Faith, Life and Prayer for Individuals and Groups. And it looks like it's by, oh look, Ash Carter, Ros Clark and Lee Gatiss. And I'm sure we'll be hearing... Oh, well, that must be excellent. We'll be hearing more about this book, I'm sure, on the podcast and on the website in, in days to come. It's not quite out yet. I have my copies uh, and we have some hard copies and it will be on Kindle and Amazon shortly. But this is um, a series of uh, short guided reflections 
um, for sort of daily reading or use in groups or that sort of thing, uh, or one-to-one, I've been using it one-to-one with someone already, um, on the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Sacraments and the Church. be a great book to give to people who are thinking about being confirmed or who are confirmed as a gift to them, um, or just for anyone who wants a sort of refresher on the basics of the Christian faith. So really good. And it will be available in all sorts of different places later this month. Good. And I think you had something you were going to just mention about uh, church society. We're We're looking... Uh, for someone to come and work for us, aren't we? Tell us why. We are, that's right. So our wonderful finance assistant, Sophie, is uh, about to go on maternity leave later this summer um, in August. So we are looking for a year's cover uh, for maternity cover of a finance assistant. So we need someone who can sort of manage the cash book. QuickBooks is what we use um, and other sort of um, uh, financial things behind the scenes. You don't need to be sort of a top charge of accountant to do this. It's a part time role. We need someone 10, 12 hours a week and it can be mostly done from home. Uh, all the details are on the website. We'll retweet the link and stuff as well. Uh, but we need that uh, fairly soon to cover Sophie's maternity leave. What's the deadline for application? I think we originally might have made the deadline today, but um, when it went out a few weeks ago. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll give that another week or so just to see if we can get some more people applying. Uh, we have various applications on Facebook already. So, so yeah, so if you think that's suitable for you or if you know somebody yeah. who that might work out for, then do get in touch quite quickly. Amanda, did you have one other thing you were yeah, going to Yes, I, I've had a teenager hopping up and down in front of me <laughs> okay. to recommend... And actually, this is something I've been enjoying. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen lots of sort of lovely choir videos um, coming up online. So um, my daughter has been in the IFES, uh, uh, the International Christian Unions Choir, who's just put out um, uh, a song. It's Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. (laughs) No, no it's it, no, when I survey. When I survey, I'm so sorry. I anyway, <laughs> you, you, um, yeah. So that that was really lovely to see students yeah. from uh, around Europe, and also I've particularly enjoyed this week. Uh, the Singapore blessing came out lovely um, with with churches that I remember from living in Singapore, and there's a multicultural society coming together, and I was love. It was lovely to mm-hmm. see particularly all people um, from their Chinese and in Indian mainly Tamil heritage. Uh, singing in Malay, which is the language of the sort of Muslim minority in Singapore, the okay. Muslim majority in Malaysia. So Lovely. that's been... Anyway, there's teenagers we all can, over my living room we at the moment. So we better stop <laughs> at this point before we get overrun uh, with teenagers. Thank you both uh, so much. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been watching and listening and subscribing. Uh, do share the podcast if you think there's people uh, who would be interested uh, in hearing this episode. We'd love you to share it with others uh, and spread the word. I'll be back again next week. Thank you very much. Bye.